in our last two episodes. And beginning with a mini tutorial on ethics, we talked about the Ring of Gyges, a story by Plato that forced us to ask the question, why do we act ethically? Is it because of some deep conviction based on our understanding of ethical life? Or is it because other people are looking at us? This is, of course, one of the fundamental questions in ethics. Why be good? Why be just? But once you start digging in this direction, you quickly realize that there are other questions that we need to explore before being able to answer this one. In particular, what is good? What is just? What kind of life stands at the opposite of Kaiga's self-serving debauchery and murder? Dig a little further still. What criteria do we use to establish what is a good life? Or if you prefer, what behaviors are ethical? What is right and wrong? We need some standards that we can then apply to specific actions. And digging even further, how do we know that these are the right criteria? How do we establish the criteria themselves? This is the realm of what we call ethical theories. You may not be surprised to find that there are a few of them, kind of competing theories that try to explain better than their competitors how can we establish what is right and wrong. You may have heard about some of them. Utilitarianism is a common enough word. You may have heard someone being called Kantian or about Aristotle's virtue ethics. It is very common to begin courses in ethics by explaining each of these theories in turn and compare their pros and cons. But I want to do something a little different here. I think instead that starting with the dry theories, we could look instead at how a well-known exemplar of ethical life lives his life and how these ethical theories apply to him. I am speaking, of course, of Mr. Spock, science officer of the Starship Enterprise. Spock is one of the most celebrated and one of the most consistently ethical characters in science fiction. He is well known for always striving to do what's just, what's fair, even better, what's rational. He avoids taking things out of proportion. He never privileges his own well-being over the mission or over his friends or his crew members. Unless, of course, his well-being is required for the success of the mission or the survival of his friends and crew members. In which case, he privileges his own well-being because, well, that's the logical thing to do. Looking at Spock and his decision, we can learn a lot about what philosophers will identify as important or essential in their various ethical theories. Aristotle, the Stoics, the Utilitarians, Kant, you can find some moment in Spock's long and prosperous life that will help illustrate the main points of this and other ethical theories. It's all in Spock. It's, it's all in Spock. Welcome to Philosophy Universe. I am Alfredo, and this is episode 8, The Ethics of Mr. Spock. This episode contains spoilers for many episodes of Star Trek, the original series, including Journey to Babel, The Galileo 7, The Devil in the Dark, Mirror Mirror, Amok Time, and of course, The Wrath of Khan. Thank you, Spoiler Robot. Now, the first thing we need to talk about is the way in which Spock phrases his moral ideals. As most people who know at least something about Star Trek will tell you, Spock is a Vulcan, or part Vulcan to be precise, and as such he strives to live a life of pure logic, or guided by logic alone. 
Already there's room for some confusion if we take this expression too literally. Can you live your life guided by logic alone? Not really if you think about it. Logic is a framework, an empty framework so to speak. It needs some content. Think of a computer before it's turned on. It's basically a framework of logical circuits, and unless it's faulty, it will process anything you load on it in a strictly logical manner. You can load it with a program that calculates how to distribute resources equitably according to mathematical principles, or one should drop bombs on the civilian population. The computer won't judge, it will just calculate a result according to what has been loaded in it. Despite what McCoy may think, though, Spock is not a machine. If asked to come with a solution to bomb a civilian population, he will likely arc his eyebrow and say, Really, Captain? and relieve Kirk of command immediately. Apart from his devotion to logic, Spock operates according to a number of moral values knowledge, duty, friendship, loyalty, truth, love, freedom, and more. Where do these come from? That is, of course, a very difficult question. It is, in fact, one of the questions that ethical theorists strive to explain. It may be that we arrive at this through convention or through some evolutionary process, or that they are self-evident to our conscience, natural or innate, or we may arrive at them through some process of abstract logic, and these various answers may combine too. It's something that we're going to be exploring in future episodes. The show, however, does not explore these questions in such depth. If you ask me, however, I think that Spock's philosophy is rooted deeply in the classical moral tradition, going as far back as Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, and even further back. When Spock states he's striving to live a life of pure logic, this is code for a more ancient expression. Spock is trying to live as closely as he can a life according to reason. This expression, a life according to reason, this is an expression that has a very rich history. In Spock, it means basically three things. Strive for a good life. Strive to control your emotions, especially when they send you in a self-destructive path. Strive to achieve fairness and equality among rational beings. Let me say them again. Strive for a good life. Strive to control your emotions. And strive to achieve fairness and equality among rational beings. The first part of this trifecta, strive for a good life, refers directly to the classical idea of wisdom and the good life that we find in the thought of, well, the classical mega trifecta, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. The idea, roughly, is that there is for all of us human beings, and I would include Balkans too, some common elements required for a good life, a life that is generally experienced as positive, worthwhile, fulfilling, joyful. In other words, good. But we need to use our head to make decisions that enrich our lives intentionally, and not by accident. Instinct is great in animals, but it's not so strong in human beings and it is possible for us to miss the target. Think of a man who's reached the end of his life estranged from his closest family because he's so stubborn and proud that he never forgave any slight or asked for forgiveness himself. He always stuck to his guns. He thinks that's what is the right course of action, yet he dies alone and resentful. Would you call that man happy? This is unlikely. He valued his opinion too much. There are decisions that he made that hurt him and others, and he never unmade them. Or think of someone like Dickens' Scrooge. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! This episode contains spoilers for... Yeah, spoiler robot. Everyone knows a Christmas carol. <sighs> As I was saying, someone like Dickens' Scrooge 
who worked every day to increase his wealth, but with such a narrow focus that he completely missed on cultivating loving relationships with his employees and his relatives. That's not how we'd like our lives to end, I guess. That's why A Christmas Carol works as a moral tale, and we don't end up feeling bad for Scrooge when he mends his ways. But since only a few of us have a dedicated set of ghosts to warn us against poor life choices, we need to use our head instead. We need, in other words, to know ourselves, individually and as a species, to know what is good for us physically, morally, psychologically, socially, politically, spiritually even. In all aspects of our lives, there are paths to growth and paths to stagnation and decay. So knowledge of what we are is key. There is an individual element to this. We see this in the fact that Spock defies tradition to join Starfleet. Why does he do this? Well, not on a whim, but because he understands himself to be called to such a mission. It's where he will flourish, to use one of the favorite words of present-day Aristotelians. But wait, there's more. There's an episode, Mirror, Mirror, in season 2, in which Captain Kirk and a couple others switch places with alternative versions of themselves in a sort of more evil universe. Their counterparts are basically treacherous pirates willing to stab any colleague in the back to advance in the ranks. It's a dog-eat-dog universe, surely. But while most of the alternative versions of the crew are selfish and lack any principles, the alternate version of Spock, complete with evil goatee, is actually a man that can still be reasoned with. Kirk is able to bring to him the argument that, if their civilization continues on this violent, murderous and backstabbing path, there is so much good that will be lost. And Spock understands. Even in a sort of reverse universe, things worked the same way, morally speaking. And while in a less merciful manner, this Spock is willing to stake his future in the pursuit of a more constructive path. This episode, by the way, is actually quite interesting. It illustrates the idea that good and evil are not symmetrical opposites. Good Kirk and his companions are able to fake their way for a while, pretending to be piratical and merciless, for they understand evil and good. But when they make their way back into their universe, they find out that their evil counterparts were discovered to be such in just a few minutes, for they could not fake being good. They did not understand selfless behavior. Anyway, so this is the first element of Spock's ethics, the desire to guide himself by the sort of choices that facilitate personal and community growth and development, based on an understanding of what constitutes the good for the rational species that populate the galaxy. The second point is the commitment to use his head accordingly. We can find this well represented in a school of philosophy that made its mark right after Plato, the Stoics. The Stoics were generally a pessimistic bunch. They expected that most of our lives would yield more pain than joy. And so they recommended a sort of detachment from our emotions, so that when the other shoe fell, it wouldn't hurt so much. Of course, Spock does not share that pessimism. If anything, his trust in reason makes him quite the optimist within reason. But he understands, like the Roman Stoics did very well, that our emotions, if they are led to run the ship, can easily blind our reason, take control, and guide us through self-destructive and other destructive paths. For the Stoics, the ideal wise person would be in control of his or her emotions and never let them make the final decisions. Spoken bodies this ideal very much, to the point in which he baffles the rest of the crew with his apparent apathy. 
Apathy, by the way, means no pathos, no passion, basically. He certainly does not demonstrate much, and often, when the ship is in imminent peril of destruction, he doesn't show any more emotion than if a pen ran out of ink. Although, here we should be a bit more nuanced. First, the show itself is not completely on Spock's side. Jim trusts Spock with his life, but Dr. McCoy, or Bones to his friends, is constantly irritated by what he considers a lack of humanity in Spock. And this echoes a regular criticism of the stoic restraint. Don't we lose something if we put so much distance between us and our feelings? Isn't it better to have loved and lost than not to have loved at all? Cleverly, the show itself never quite resolves this issue. Like in a platonic dialogue, it shows both sides and leaves it to the viewer to figure it out. In a sense, you could argue that it is in the triad of Kirk, Spock, McCoy that the conflict is played out, with Spock embodying cold reason, McCoy raw emotion, and Kirk the will that chooses between the two according to the situation. On the other hand, though, a closer look shows that Spock does have to actively cultivate this stoic apatheia. As we learn in Amok Time, Vulcans have actually dangerously hot emotions, which together with their physical power can make them very dangerous, so they have learned throughout generations a variety of practices and rituals that help them keep these emotions in check. But further, Spock does still share occasionally a more Aristotelian view of emotions. Emotions help us figure out where we stand, what is valuable, and when a wild gamble may be more rational than passive inactivity. We see this in the Galileo 7, for example. Spock and other crew members are trapped in a shuttle in a decaying orbit, with only a little fuel left. In an apparent moment of panic, Spock uses the entire reserve in one quick burn, possibly damning the little ship. But he justifies this as a calculated risk, increasing their chances of becoming momentarily visible to a potential rescue party. And then there's my favorite episode, perhaps, Journey to Babel, on season 2. Here, Spock's father is in need of a transfusion at a critical moment in the spaceship's journey. The transfusion itself is risky. It could kill Spock, but he calculates it's worthwhile. Then, in the middle of a battle, he decides it's now not according to reason, because situations have changed. The captain has been wounded, and Spock's absence could jeopardize the entire crew and passage. It is only after Kirk, with the help of McCoy, lies to Spock, pretending to be fine, that Spock decides to engage in the transfusion. His reasoning here follows very closely an 18th century ethical theory, very well known, called utilitarianism, which we have mentioned a couple of times. At every moment, Spock is weighing his life, his father's, and that of the entire crew, along with the potential risk involved, to make a decision that is as rational as possible, that will maximize happiness in the utilitarian speech. And so does his father, a proper Vulcan. Spock's mother doesn't. She's a very emotional human and literally drives Spock to tears, begging him not to do the transfusion when Spock has decided to do it, and to do the transfusion where Spock has decided against it. His mom is the only creature in the universe capable of making Spock cry. And so, as we have seen, Spock really strives to keep his emotions under control, particularly whenever they are going to interfere with the use of his reason. But now there's the third element, strive to achieve fairness and equality among rational beings. This is an ethical ideal not absent in ancient times, but developed fully in the 18th century theories of utilitarianism, again, 
and what we call Kantian ethics, in honor, of course, of Immanuel Kant. It is during these times that theories about human equality and fairness become more prominent and began to slowly gain ground. It is these theories that ultimately will contribute to, for example, abolish slavery in Europe and the Americas. At the heart of these theories, particularly the Kantian theory, is the idea that no one should make themselves an exception to the rules or a privileged player to whom some laws and ethical norms do not apply, much less should humanity be divided according to such privileges. More than the willful Kirk, who is often tempted to impose his views on what he sees as less civilized communities, and much more than Bones, who looks at things from the narrow point of view of a physician, Spock would recommend respect, patience, and taking the time to understand the various cultures that they encounter, even to the point in The Devil in the Dark, which is another one of my favorite episodes, to risking his life to mind meld with a murderous blob that has been killing a colony of miners, in order to get to know the point of view of the suffering creature. Of course, it is taking very long for these ideas to be fully fleshed in our society, but it is definitely something that not only Spock, but the entire Star Trek saga famously strove to promote, with its diverse crew and its powerful democratic and egalitarian message. Yeah, it may not have been perfect, no, some people complained the female crew members' curves were too short, but then again, Kirk would rip his shirt at the first occasion to balance things out. And so, we see in Spock not pure logic, nor as how sometimes his picture applying purely utilitarian calculations to his actions. Looking at Spock, we can see that ethics is complex. It requires a many-layered approach. It does benefit from something like a utilitarian approach that helps us calculate and balance goods against each other, a bit of Kant here and there that helps us stick to our principles and regard everybody equally, an intentional examination of the good life that teach us what are the goods, what are the goals that we're looking for in life, and a smattering of stoicism to control one's passions and use our head when it's difficult to do so. But if the proof is in the pudding, the proof of the power of these theories to inspire and guide can be found in the fact that a pointy-year alien, at a time in which aliens were viewed with particular suspicion, became one of the most beloved characters in US TV. So let's continue exploring some of these theories in the next episodes of Philosophy, Philosophy Universe. And thank you for listening. This one was hard. I had to record it three times due to technology issues and ended up rewriting it four times. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I even forgot to talk about The Wrath of Khan. So go watch it on your own. It's a great movie. See you next time. <laughs>